Amen. Wonderful. Love the music. Thank you for fighting the rain and coming to church. And I thank the Umbrella Brigade. Met me at the door of the car and kept my hair from getting all messed up. And I appreciate that. I, I was a little bit late last night. I got here at 701. I got in the traffic circle. I think I went around four times. I'm not sure. But I came out in the wrong spot. So I was a couple miles down the road. I said, this doesn't look right. But I appreciate you being here. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for allowing the Lord to work. Thank you for that good song with Yusuf. Aren't you glad you are washed completely by the blood of Jesus Christ? Yeah. I, uh, sometimes people say, I just don't know why a loving God would send anybody to hell. I have no trouble understanding why a holy God judges wicked men. But I don't know why he loves us. <laughs> I don't know why his blood washes away every stain and he puts our sins under the deepest sea and removes them as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them no more. What a savior. So glad I get to serve him and know him. Uh, so sometimes people say, well, uh, a loving God wouldn't send anybody to hell. You know, he doesn't. Well, he doesn't. If it dies and goes to hell, they have to ignore the Spirit of God speaking to their heart. They have to reject the true light, the light of every man that cometh into the world. They have to spurn the grace of God. They have to climb over the cross that God has erected as a barrier between man and hell. No, God doesn't send people to hell. They go there because they won't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I appreciate all the music, encouraging, blessing. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26 had a wonderful time of lunch and fellowship with the preacher and his wife. I was glad Mrs. Ingram was able to come. I told her her husband, like most of us men, does much better with adult supervision. <laughs> Stand with me if you would, please. Genesis 26, verse 12. Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year an hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great, became very great. Great possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, great store of servants. And the Philistines envied him. You see, jealousy wishes it had what somebody else has. Envy is so upset it doesn't have what somebody else has, it tries to take it from the one who does. Jealousy wishes they had your car, envy keys your car. They can't have something nice, they'll see to it you don't either. They envied him. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abram, his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. Now, why would you do that? 
It's hard to dig a well. No pneumatic air jacks, air hammers, jackhammers. No power tools. All done by hand, a pick and a shovel. They got a little deeper and they couldn't push it out. They had to put the earth in a bucket and pull it up. Rocks. And they dug and they dug and they dug and they shored up the sides. It wouldn't cave in. And they finally hit water. And water was really valuable. It was essential in that arid land. Why would anybody stop up a well? That's what Philistines do. They never dig wells. They just stop up other people's wells. Liberals don't start colleges. They just ruin other people's colleges. And Abimelech, verse 16, said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father for the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham and he called their names after the names by which his father had called them and Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water and the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's servants saying the water is ours. He called the name of the well Essek because they strove with him. They digged another well and strove for that also. And he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence and digged another well. And for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, <laughs> for now the Lord hath made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Lord, <coughs> help me to be directed <coughs> and empowered by your spirit to say just what you want said. Open our hearts. <coughs> Bind Satan the unclean spirits that serve and keep them from distracting, disturbing, interrupting. Help the seed of your word to find such good lodging place in the soil of our hearts that it will take root and bring fruit for years to come. Do the work you wish to do. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Almost a century earlier, 97 years earlier, Abraham's father Isaac had been in the same land for the same reason. There was a famine in the land of promise. They didn't have water, it was dry, they could not feed their flocks and herds, so they went where things were a little better. Isaac comes back and he digs some wells. He digs what? Well, the Philistines say that's ours. They take it. He digs another well. They say that's ours. They take it. He digs another well and they leave him be. 
I want you to notice three things tonight. Notice, if you will, the titles. Now, the Bible indicates that they were significant titles. They meant something. Uh, he called one of the wells Essek, which means contention. Another one Sitna, which means enmity. And the third one that they let him keep, Rehoboth, which means plenty of room. Significant. Uh, they meant something. It used to be our words meant something. Now, the news, the politicians, the big companies lie to us, and they're not even embarrassed about it. I saw a columnist named Clarence Page after Obamacare had passed. He was a big Obama supporter. He was from Chicago, like Obama was. And they said, well, did he lie when he said, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor? And Page wasn't even embarrassed. He didn't even try to spin it. He said, well, yeah, but it was a political lie. It's your yay be yay and your nay be nay. They were significant titles. They were the same titles. He called the names after the names by which his father had called them. We're in a name-changing era. We don't want to have the Canaan Baptist Church. We want to have the river, the rock, the gathering. I got a letter a while back. Saw a letter and it, it said, so-and-so ministries, big letters and real little letters under it, Christian school, daycare, Baptist church. See, they were more important than a church. They weren't just a church. They had ministries. I got news for you. You will never be part of anything more important, more significant, more valuable, more biblical than a New Testament, local, independent, Bible-believing church. Jesus didn't die for the ministries. He died for the church. Local church. And uh, we were more important than that. Don't, don't, don't change God's words. People who have a problem with booze aren't alcoholics. They're drunkards. Men who marry men are not queer or gay. They are sodomites. Now, people who take other people's lives are not uh, socially deficient. They are murderers. I have been given some, your preacher has as well, honorary doctor's degrees. Now, it was very nice of the people who gave them to us. Very nice. I'm grateful they were kind. An honorary doctor's degree is like the curl in a pig's tail. It looks real fancy, but it doesn't add an ounce of pork. <laughs> you look at my books. None of them say doctor on them. I, I got my first doctor's degree. Good night. Uh, 41 years ago, I was 29. But you know, any old pagan can be a doctor. Only a child of God can be a brother. 
Yeah, we need a few less reverends and a few less doctors and a few more brothers in the work of God. Titles. But notice also his tendency. Now, you're not going to like this part of the sermon. I don't like it. Isaac had a tendency to deference. He dug the well. He got the water flowing. And they came and said, that's ours. He said, all right. I'll go to another one. Our daughter, Krissa, older daughter, was five years old before our daughter, Katie, was born. It is hard to teach an only child to share. But she has cousins. My niece, Katrina, Christina, live across town. They're about nine months older than her. They were coming over one day. And uh, we, we said, now, honey, the twins are going to come. You want to be real nice. You want to share. And we practiced. She was holding a doll, and I said, I'm Katrina. I want that doll. And she smiled, and she banded it over, and she said, you can have it. She did so well in practice. <laughs> then the twins came. We were playing Rook. I think that's Baptist Bridge. I'm not sure. And uh, we heard down the hallway in the bedroom, no. It's mine. You can't have it. So I walked down, Chris. Remember, we practiced. You can have it. Deference. Deference is defined as giving in to the wants and wishes of others. It is commanded by the scripture. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Yes. You think about the things that people fuss about in our churches. It's almost never doctrine. It's almost never the Bible it's who got which Sunday school class. I was preaching at a church in Virginia. There was an evangelist there. I, I barely heard of him, just vaguely heard of him. He was in the service. We were talking before church, getting to know him. He said, yeah, I was preaching a Sunday at another church. He said, I wasn't preaching Sunday school. And I was sitting there in the auditorium. He said, this guy came up and he said to me, you're sitting in my seat. The evangelist said, I told him, I don't see your name on it. The man said, well, I always sit there. And the evangelist said, you're not sitting there today. <laughs> and then the evangelist said, you should have seen his face when I got up to preach. Yeah, I bet that guy had great revival. <laughs> and I said to the evangelist, well, imagine what his response would have been had you graciously given him his seat and then got up to preach. And you know what he said? Oh, I never thought about that. Bible says, think about that. My seat, my parking spot. My child didn't get to sing the special. My uh, solo wasn't included in the revival meeting. Oh, fooey on that. Isaac said, you can have that. Now, why did he do that? Well, because he was a wimp. 
He was weak. No, no. The Bible says that Abimelech said to him, go out from us, for thou art much mightier than we are. He was well able to fight for his rights, to keep his property, to maintain the fruit of his labor. But he had deference. I told the preacher and his wife at lunch, I took a personality test when I was in college in a psychology class, and I failed. I scored really high in autonomy and really low in deference. I don't think I live that way today, but if I don't, it's by the grace of God. See, if you walk in the spirit, all that stuff gets worked out. But Isaac also had a tendency toward determination. He was going to get water. He needed water. His flocks and herds were increasing, and they had to have water. So when they took one well, he dug another one. They took that one, he dug another one. He's going to get water. Here's what I want to talk to you about tonight. They can take your well, but they can't take your water. You know, I believe the Lord wants me to preach this message in part for the future. Here's what happens. It's already happened. You went to the meeting last night. You came and God worked. People gave good testimonies. And God dealt with us and we went home rejoicing. And some of us, before we got home, there was a message or a text on our phone with some bad news, some irritating news, some difficult news, and whoosh, all that joy and all that enthusiasm and all that blessing just went away like the wind going out, the air going out of a balloon. They took your well. The world will always take your wells. You watch the news and Man, all the joy you had from your devotions just dissipates watching five minutes of news. So many things. You'll get home tonight, some of you. Find the rains have done some damage and caused some problems and, and it'll irritate you and upset you. Whatever God does in this meeting, boom, it's just gone. There are people at work and they can look at you and take your well. Just the expression they have on their face and you know what they're thinking and you know what they're about to say. Some of you have a relative or a friend and they're perpetually negative. They're always complaining and you come home thrilled with the goodness of God on a higher plane spiritually and there they are. Boom. They take you well. But did you know what Isaac knew? There's a whole lot of places you can dig a well. Because the water's not in one spot. It's not just in that well. There's a water table under the ground. And you dig a well here, dig a well there, dig a well over there. And they can take that well. But they cannot keep him from getting water. The Bible says the Spirit of God is like a well of water springing up into you. Jesus said it in John chapter 7. Uh, a well 
of one. I'm not talking about the water of life. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about the refreshing water of the Spirit of God. We used to sing that song, There is a River. The Bible says in, in the book of Psalms, it talks about a brook in the way. It's a prophetic psalm. It's talking about the Lord Jesus and his crucifixion. And somewhere in that time of trial, there was a brook in the way. Maybe it was Simon of Cyrene. Maybe it was some of the disciples gathered around the cross. I don't know what it was, but something in the midst of that trial encouraged his spirit and refreshed his heart and blessed him. And I want you to know, revival is deciding they may have taken your well, but you know where the water of life is and you can dig another one and they can take your well, but no way they can take your water. I got a question. Can you still do this? Can you still do this? Well, they can take your well then, but they can't take your water. That's the truth I want you to see tonight. My sermon is essentially over. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to illustrate it. Moved to Bridgeport in 1975, my wife and I. Been a youth pastor two years. I was 22 years old. And in those days, Saginaw was about 100,000 people. It's less than 40,000 now. And they had a thing called a welcome wagon. They'd come by and welcome new people into town. And the lady came by and she gave us maps and little gifts and things from different merchants. And a few days later, she called. She said, I shouldn't do this. But there's a couple, a family, just moved into town, and you're Baptist, and they're Baptist, and you just moved in, and they just moved in. I want to tell you about them. You might want to go see them. And I hustled over there, and I saw Don and Dee Workman. They were saved. They were Baptist. They were independent, fundamental, our kind of Baptist. And I said, oh, this is great. I mean, they're still moving boxes around. I said, we're new here, you're new here. you got to come visit our church. Oh, they said, we already know we're going to church. I said, you do? Yeah. Where are you going to go? Well, we're going to the Sheridan Road Baptist Church. Jack Hiles' son-in-law was the pastor. I said, that's a good church. I said, you just got here. How'd you decide to go to that church? Well, they said, we told, we called the sword of the Lord, told them we're moving to Saginaw, and they told us that was the church to go to. I thought, brother, I got there first. <laughs> we had a little church building, few pews on each side, no padding. Old oak pews, the shellac had softened when you sat in them. And we didn't have any air conditioning. You're in hot weather. Your clothes would literally stick to the shellac. You'd stand up and it'd go. The backs and the seats had sagged and separated. We sat down, the seat go like that. And if you're the last one up, it would grab you. Our congregation was small but lively. A couple old buildings that had been motels. Our church was on the Dixie Highway. Longest highway in America. It goes all the way from Miami to northern Michigan. Tamiami Trail called sometimes 41, U.S. 10. Same highway. And 
they had a couple buildings in a motel when Dixie Highway was the main way to travel up north for. They built I-75. And, and I mean, I looked at those buildings, drywall falling off in chunks, bare concrete floors, grody looking, space heaters surrounded by chicken wire so the kids that met there would not burn themselves. And I thought, dear God, how am I going to get anybody to come to this church? I wouldn't come if I wasn't the pastor. I thought, well, these people are new, I'm new. And man alive, they took my well. I went back home, canceled my subscription to the sword of the Lord. <laughs> Burned every book in my library by John Rice. <laughs> they took my well. October of 1975, we showed a film called Thief in the Night. It was very popular. It was about the return of the Lord Jesus. Now it happened that a guy from Virginia had said that the Lord Jesus, he'd figured it out, was going to come back. We showed the film on Friday and Saturday and the Lord was going to come back one of those two nights. He figured it out. Well, I thought that was interesting. Remember, watch out for people who are smarter than God. No man knows the day nor the hour. But I called all the news outlets, papers, and radio, and TV, and I got on the NBC affiliate in Saginaw for the new news. I mean, I hadn't been there a few months. Well, I get on the program, and the guy says, now, Pastor, we understand something special is supposed to occur while you're showing the film. Well, he thought I was saying, Jesus is going to come back while we showed the film. My goodness, if I thought he was coming back, I wouldn't be watching the film. He was going to embarrass me. He had a live one. I said, no, no, we, we thought it was interesting that while we're showing the film, this guy said, the Lord will come back. We packed out the building Friday night, Saturday night, had a dozen people saved. Young couple got saved. I talked to him about baptism. I said, you got to come back. I think it's Friday night they got saved. You got to come back on Sunday and get back. Oh, yeah, we'll do that. They didn't come. I went to see him. I said, man, we missed you. I hope nobody got sick. Oh, no, preacher, I work with a guy from First Assembly. We were on the bad side of town. First Assembly was on the good side of town. We had a crummy little building. They had a big, nice building. We had a handful of people. They had a big crowd. And he said, my friend from First Assembly told us that Baptists are good on the gospel, but they don't have all of the Holy Spirit. Hey, the moment you got saved, you were indwelt by the Spirit of God. You can be empowered by the Spirit. He can get more of you. You can enjoy his blessing more. But you either have him or you're not saved. If any man hath not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. He said, so we went there and we got baptized there and we joined there. Oh, good grief. How are we ever going to build the church in this town? I got the film. I did the advertising. I went on the news and let them try to make me look like an idiot. And they took them. They stole my well. They took our bus riders. They stole our members. Sometimes they take things more valuable and important than that. 
Gary Wilkins, left our church, went to Bible college, moved to Standish, Maine. New England's not an easy area to build an independent Baptist church. You can live there 20 years, they'll call you the new guy. He met in a Kiwanis hall for seven years. The first year he was there, nobody came to any evening service. I had some people in the morning. I would never have done what he did. He and his wife and the three boys, Jeff and Matt and Brian, had a song service, took an offering. His boys passed the plate his wife gave. Had preaching, had an invitation. Every evening service for a year. The Kiwanis Hall was L-shaped. So some people sitting here and some people sitting there and the preacher stood in the corner. And he preached like this. So you could have a church split and nobody really had to leave. They just <laughs> go to the other side of the L. Finally bought some property and finally he built a beautiful New England style building and he bought a couple of buses. They were so excited. They had their own place. They could have a bus ministry. He barely got them on the road and somebody who hated the bus ministry burned both his buses. They took as well. Dick Snavely pastored the Calvary Baptist Church in Findlay, Ohio. It was growing. People were being saved. And someone didn't like what was going there. They burnt his buildings. Not his buses, his buildings. Yeah, we'll see how you do now with no buildings. They took as well. Revival is when you determine by the grace of God, no matter how often you have to do it, you can keep digging another well. You know the source of living water. You will not let the world, you will not let carnal Christians, you will not let members of your own family rob you of the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ and walking in the spirit and enjoying his blessing and fellowship within him and abiding in Jesus Christ. Amen. And you may have to do it again and again and again and again, but you dig another well. But you know, I live to see the day we're trying to have, we called it Beat the Devil Sunday. We're trying to have 667 in Sunday school. We had 823. Don and D. Workman visited that morning and they came back that night and they joined the church and they stayed there till they lost a job. Had to move to Texas. Yeah, somebody took our well. No way they could take our water. And I live to see the day that the largest auditorium and the biggest membership and the biggest finances and the biggest attendance of any church in town was the First Baptist Church of Bridgeport. We lost that family, but we found out there was a whole lot of other sinners that needed Jesus and we could win them to Christ and we could see God change their lives. Somebody took our well. Nobody could take our water. Amen. Gary Wilkins got a call from the superintendent of schools. This is extremely unusual anywhere, especially in New England. We understood somebody burned your bosses, yes, sir. We just bought a couple of new buses. We got a couple to get rid of. We would like to give them to you, but 
we really can't do that. Would you like to buy them for a dollar each? Even our buses are worth that. And he got two better buses. And he had $1,700 from the insurance company. And he got the buses back on the road. And today he's one of the strongest churches in the state of Maine. Beautiful building, big gym, Christian school, all paid for. Somebody took his well. No way they could take his water. Amen. I met Golden Blount at the end of his life. He pastored before I met him, the Down River Baptist Temple south of Detroit. Built a big building, kind of overextended himself. Had a church split. And now some of the people are left to pay the bills that all of the people voted to incur. And he lost the building. And it was so embarrassing. And such a bad testimony. He found a little place to meet with the people that stayed with him. And they had church, but it was grim. It was the hang on till the rapture kind of attitude. One day he was sitting down by the Detroit River having his devotions. And he read in the book of Job. After Job's trials are over and God's done straightening him out. Remember, Job said, I heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but now I see thee. And he said, I lay my hand upon my mouth. I was explaining that to our people one time. And I said, down in South Carolina, we had an expression. We would say, well, shut my mouth. And Brother Scott Cowling, who's from Georgia, said, preacher, you didn't finish it. I said, what do you mean? He said, in Georgia, we said, well, shut my mouth and call me stupid. Now, I'm not going to say anything about the differences between Georgia and South Carolina. I just. And the Bible says that God said to Bildad and Zophar and Eliphaz, this is, these are my words, I ain't messing with y'all. If you want anything, you tell Job and my servant Job will pray for you. I'm listening to Job. I'm not listening to y'all. And the Bible said, and Golden Blount read, then God turned the captivity of Job when he had prayed for his friends. The friends who maligned him, the friends who falsely accused him, the friends who wrongly criticized him. And Golden Blount made a list of all those people. And he prayed for him every day, and it was hard. But after a while, it got easier. And after a while, the bitterness was fading, and he really wanted God to bless them wherever they were, and God to use them, and God to help them. And about that time, the sunlight began to shine into his church again, and souls started getting saved, and, and the joy of the Lord came back into the congregation, and I met him when he was a happy warrior for the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody took his well, but nobody could take his water. Amen. Don Malone went to Bob Jones College in Cleveland, Tennessee. 
met his wife, Joyce. She was a good bit younger than him. She was in high school. He was in college. And he was a little older when he went to college. And uh, he fell in love. He asked her to marry him. She said, Tom, I'd be glad to marry you, but I think we ought to have a little money. We get married. I think we ought to have at least $1,000 up. He said, all right. Now, this would have been late 30s, early 40s. And uh, after a little while, she said, Tom, how you doing on that $1,000? He said, pretty good. I've got $37.48. She said, that's close enough. He never finished school. Got married, went to Pontiac, Michigan, started the Emmanuel Baptist Church. He used his own labor to help build the building. The, the mason was hired and he was the tender. Mason said, Tom Malone's the best tender I ever had. He mixed the mortar in the mud and moved it up on the scaffolding and the mason did the skillful part of laying the bricks. He got convicted. He ought to finish college. And for a long time, on Friday when his last class was done, he'd jump in a car and drive on two-lane roads, no expressways in those days, from Cleveland, Tennessee to Pontiac, Michigan. And then on Saturday, he'd knock on doors and visit, and Sunday he'd preach, and Sunday night he'd jump in the car after church and drive all night and go to class Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, did it over and over again. And Tom Malone saw the Emmanuel back this church grow to an attendance for years of 3,500 a Sunday, 2,000 on the buses, 1,500 in the drive-in crowd. And he got older. He didn't transition well. Different pastors came in but didn't go well. Church had begun to decline when he was still there and the third pastor that came in tried to kick Dr. Malone out of his office, take the college from him, and get the church to stop paying the pension they'd agreed to give to him. And then that preacher resigned. Tom Malone was now probably 73, four, five years old. And they called him back to be pastor of the Emanuel Baptist Church. His first Sunday back, they had 90-something in attendance. And 60 of them came on the bus. 1,200-seat auditorium, theater seats. Preacher, you want us to block off some of those seats? No. No, he said, we're going to face those seats until we fill them. And here was the schedule. He got up every morning, ate breakfast with his wife, went to the office, did a little work, and then he went out and knocked on doors and won people to Christ. He went home, he ate lunch, he took a nap. He went back to the office, did a little work, and then he went out and knocked on doors. And he went home and ate supper, and then he went back out and knocked on doors three times a day. The old man retraced his steps from the early days up and down the streets of Pontiac, Michigan, and he saw that church grow to an average attendance of 600 and a big day of over 1,000. And there was a time the fastest growing church of any kind in the state of Michigan was pastored by a 75 or 6 or 7 year old man. Somebody took his well. Nobody could take his water. Amen. Dick Snavely put an ad in the paper 
found a gym to meet and he said, churches don't burn. Buildings burn. Calvary Baptist Church be meeting in such and such a gymnasium and they grew better and had more people saved in the gymnasium than they had in their own church building. Somebody burned his building. Somebody took his well. Nobody could take his water. So you know Dr. Curtis Hudson, he was my friend. Pastor in Decatur. Took the sword of the Lord. It's in his late 50s, early 60s, found out he had prostate cancer. Hadn't been the doctor in 20 years. It was pretty far advanced. He was going to preach at the Southwide Baptist Fellowship. It was a big, big meeting back then. Johnny Stansel called me and said, we're going to get a nice bus like the country singers use for the black horse to go from Murfreesboro to Charlotte. That's what Brother Stansel called Brother Hudson. Brother Stansel was his longtime assistant bus director. Really, Brother Hudson had taken him into his home, kind of an adopted son. He said, would you like to help us? I said, I'd be glad to. I sent him some money. He said, would you like to ride the bus with him from Murfreesboro, Tennessee? to Charlotte, North Carolina. I said, I'd love that. I flew into Nashville. They picked me up, drove me to the house, got on the bus. Only one other preacher, Brother Hudson, Miss Hudson, Miss Dancil, some family members. He never complained. He'd say, I don't really have any pain. I'm just a little sore. But I watched him. When everybody, he thought everybody was sleeping. Everybody was, except me and him. And just to cross or uncross his legs, he pulled his lips tight against his teeth. And just move his legs a little bit. We got to the motel. I had to go pick up a car to get to my next meeting. Family saved a spot for me. I sat with him that night with the family. Dr. Hudson got up to preach. He was sharp. He said, before I preach, I want to sing. His daughter Donna came to the piano and he sang, well, I'm on the winning side. Yes, I'm on the winning side. No, he didn't. He sang, I'm on the winning side. Oh, I'm on the winning side. And he preached things that are different or not the same. King James Bible is not the same as other translations. Soul winning, not the same as lifestyle evangelism. Independent Baptist, not the same as the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, 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 fundamentalism, not the same as New Evangelicalism. He was sharp. He was a mixed crowd. Not everybody liked him. He said Bob Jones Sr. was the first evangelist to join the National Association of Evangelicals in some ways. I said, amen. And he said, and he was the first one to leave when it went liberal, say amen again. He got all done. He said, my precious children have been so sweet. My oldest daughter, Sherry, said, Daddy, hey, talk like this. We have to talk. You die if the Lord takes you home. What do you want on your grave marker? He said, 
I told him on one side, put the plan of salvation, I'll write it for you. I've been there, some of you have too. There's the gospel, an invitation to the sinner, reading it to pray and trust Christ. He said on the other side, put the last two stanzas of there is a fountain filled with blood. He said, I'm going to sing them for you if I can. He said, ere since, by faith, I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. And he sang, when this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. I sat there, stood there, weeping unashamedly, never saw anybody die with such grace and such courage and such class. Cancer took his well. No way he could take his water. Hey, it's our well. Okay. You can help yourselves, boys. I know how to get some more. Well, that one's ours too. Well, you go ahead and we'll dig another one after a while. You'll get tired of fussing and we'll have our well. And they take your well, but they can't take your water. Now, here's my message to the Canaan Baptist Church. I believe the Lord wants me to deliver. Probably right now. Likely tomorrow and certainly many times in the days ahead as God continues the reviving work that was started before I got here that will keep on going long after I'm gone. Somebody's going to take your well. That's not up to you. That's up to them. But whether they take your water isn't up to them. It's up to you.